Our first reading is Psalm 8, and that can be found on page 465 of the Church Bibles. That's Psalm 8, beginning at verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. The second reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 19, can be found on page 1056 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The love who fears, the one who fears, is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved us. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, nice to see you. Um, We are looking at questions, and it's been a It's been a fairly heavy few weeks, really. Uh, Two weeks ago, we answered the the question, uh, why is there so much corruption and power abuse in church? That was pretty heavy. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, why don't Christians keep their opinions to themselves, the whole topic of religious freedom. Uh, Today's question is this. It's on the screen. Uh, 
if God made me, why do I hate myself? So the real question, in fact, there were many, many, many questions like that. Not liking myself, not being happy, having everything, but still being miserable. Let me share Cara's story. Cara grew up in a Christian home, true story, the youngest of three siblings. It was a happy home, a stable home, a caring home. Uh, in her early years, she suffered a traumatic incident. But she never talked about it. She bottled it up and tried to get on with her life. In her teenage years, she spiraled out of control. Anxiety, depression, self-harm. She said this, it was my way of expressing all my bottled up anger, hurt, stress. I turned it all back on myself. I started to live my own self-narrative. I am ugly. I am dirty. I am horrible. I hate me. Like this vortex of self-hatred. And Cara tried everything. She was admitted to a psych hospital. She tried art therapy. She tried meditation. She dabbled in drugs and sex. She kept going to church. She kept believing in God. She was a Christian. She hated herself. In her late teens, she went on a Christian camp and she experienced the unconditional love of other leaders, the unconditional love of other people. She finally, finally talked to somebody. And she wrote this. I realized that the Lord Jesus Christ loves me for who I am and who he has made me. And I don't need to prove myself to anyone anymore. It's a living example. If God made me, why do I hate myself? It's such a poignant question, isn't it? Even more poignant when I tell you the person who actually wrote that exact question on that chalkboard was a young, fit, muscly, 30-year-old guy in a business suit living the dream in Kiribati. This question is a very common question, increasingly common. It seems like, actually, the more that we have and the more comfortable our surroundings are, the more we are questioning ourselves and disliking ourselves. It's a very common issue. It's a very complex issue, self-hatred. It's a psychological issue. It's an emotional issue. It's a spiritual issue. It is complex because for some people, self-hatred is a real clinical issue that needs uh, hospitalization and medication and medical treatment. Uh, For other people... Sadly, it's a response to some past trauma, some past abuse, which needs professional counselling. But for many people, this is this deep sense of, of worthlessness compared to other people. It's a common issue. It's a complex issue. It's a, it's a Christian issue. Christians are not immune from self-disappointment and self-hatred. Just because we know Jesus and we know that we're loved by God doesn't mean that we can't struggle with this. Let me give you a few examples. Self-hatred are things like, I hate how I look. I hate how I feel. I hate what I've done. I hate what others have done to me. I hate what I've failed to accomplish. Some people, they just hate the way that they look. That sort of body image issue. I hate that I'm so 
big. I hate that I'm so skinny. I hate that my biceps are so small. I hate my jawline. I hate everything about me. Or I hate how I feel. For some people, uh, they walk into a room, a crowded room, and, and it feels like, it feels to them as though everyone is staring at them and making judgments about them. Or people hate feeling so alone all the time. You, know, you sit in a cafe in Kirribilli and you watch everybody else and everybody else seems to have friends and they're laughing all the time and you just feel so miserable and you feel so alone. Uh, for some people, this self-hatred is, I hate what I've done. There's something in your past, an incident, a conversation, and you did something. It could be years ago and you are filled with shame and you're filled with fear. Fear of being found out. And you define yourself by that past event. Uh, for some people, very, very sadly, they hate themselves because what other people have done to them. They are the victims of bullying, harm or abuse. And that's left them with these deep scars and they live in fear. And so often they turn it back on themselves and they start to say things like, I must be a bad person. It was my fault and I deserve that. And for other people, it's I hate what I've failed to accomplish. That, that feeling that I, I'm not good enough, I'm not successful enough. You know, By now, I should have my own house and by now, I should have kids and by now, I should have that career I wanted and all those friendships I hoped for. And we have these, these measurements and we feel a complete failure. One person said that, Hating yourself is, is a sense of failure, so nothing I do is good. A sense of being outcast and nobody will like me. A sense of feeling exposed, like everybody else has an opinion about you. A sense of being dirty, you are horrible and despicable, why would anyone like you? And a sense of being degraded, I don't matter to anybody. Caroline described it as this, I hate, I hate myself because I thought that I wasn't good enough to be in this world. I thought I was ugly, stupid, and weird, and I just wished I could have been somebody else. And I say at this moment, if you are here this afternoon and you are struggling with any of these kind of issues, if I say anything in this talk this afternoon that triggers anything, please feel free just to walk out if it's too much. I, I, I won't be offended by that, that's okay. And if you're here this afternoon and you're really struggling with this, there are people down the front here at the end who would love to pray with you and listen to you and talk with you. So if God made me, why do I hate myself? You ever thought how an atheist might, might answer that question? What would someone who doesn't believe in God say to that question? They, they say something like, oh, go, and have, go and have a holiday, get some relaxation. That temporary escapism. Or they say to them, why do you try and change yourself? Why do you try and change your career or, or move house or move, move the state? Have a fresh start. Or they say, love yourself more. Just talk to yourself. Say nice things about yourself. Or they might even say, well, that's just life. Get over it. So the atheist response is depressing and it's exhausting and it's unsatisfying. So how would I as a Christian answer that question, if God made me? You've got to start with that first word, if God made me. Because I believe that God did make me. 
I believe that all of us here in this room are made by God, created by God. None of us here are an accident. According to the Bible, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a human being. I'm created by my God to know him and to be known by him. Look at Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is so important to understand and to believe that as human beings, we are different from the animals. We are different from the rest of creation. We are made in the image of God. We are made in the likeness of God. What does that mean? To be made in the image of God means a few things. It means that you have been made with a conscience. As human beings, we have this amazing brain, this capacity to, to think and to evaluate and to compare. And when our brains are working rightly, when our conscience are working rightly, it's a beautiful thing and a wonderful thing. But when it goes slightly wrong, it can be utterly, utterly despairing. It's a bit like a, the wiring in your house. You go home tonight and you, you flick a switch and because the wiring works, the power comes on, the light comes on, you think nothing about it. But what happens when there's a slight problem with your wiring at home and the power doesn't come on, the light doesn't come on? Or even worse, when that problem in your wiring causes a massive house fire. In the broken and the fallen world that we live in, sometimes, sadly, the, the wiring in our consciences doesn't quite work right. And so we evaluate ourselves wrongly or we listen to other people and what they say about us wrongly. To be made in the image of God means we were made with a conscience and we were made for relationships. So just as God is a God of relationship, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, to be made in his image means that we were created as human beings not to be alone. We were created for relationships. And there's something profoundly beautiful about that, to live in community, to have friendships, to have other people in our lives. But again, sadly, in this broken and fallen and messed up world, sometimes it just goes wrong. And sometimes we do feel all alone. Or or sometimes we look at other people and we are jealous and we are competitive. In this broken and falling world, sometimes our our consciences are messed up, sometimes our relationships are messed up, and in this broken and fallen world, sometimes our identity is messed up. So if you know that you're made in the image of God, created by him, that means that he defines who you are. He is the one who says, you are mine. But in this world that we live in, we're taught this lie that we can define ourselves. We have the autonomy to decide who we want to be. It doesn't work. No, be true to yourself. Follow your dreams. Find the true you. But sometimes the true you, you don't like the true you inside yourself. The writer Michael Bird helped, he says, how in the world that we live in, in terms of our identity, we take secondary things and we define ourselves as the primary things. We take the secondary things like our looks and where we live and our jobs and whether we have kids or our ethnicity or our financial security, all these, these things, these secondary things that shouldn't and do not define us. 
But our world keeps on telling us that is what you are. You are a lawyer. You are single. You are fat. You are gay. You are Asian. And God says, no. No, primarily you're my child. Primarily you're you're my, my child who's created in my image. Regardless of what you look like and where you live and if you're married and what your sexual orientation is, you're a child of God. So listen to that primary identity, not the secondary. But we live in a world where that primary identity is silenced by the louder voice of a culture of self-definition. So that's part of the answer. If God made me, and God did make us, and so God defines you. So why do I hate myself? I think there are four reasons why people hate themselves. They're on the screen. I listen to the wrong voices. I live before the wrong eyes. I measure myself by the wrong standards. And I look to the wrong saviors. I listen to the wrong voices. So often we are bombarded by other people's voices and we listen to the loudest voices and we listen to the voices that mock us or attack us. And when people keep saying things like, you are useless, you are stupid, if you hear that often enough, you start to believe it, don't you? It is amazing how often things said about you as children have actually shaped how you see yourself. Anyone here ever came home from school and you got 95% in your exams and a parent said to you, what happened to the other 5%? And it's almost like you're shaped by, I have to be perfect to be accepted. Or the absent voice of the parent who, who never told you, I love you. And we listen to these other voices and we listen to our own voice, the voice inside our head saying, I am a nobody, I am a failure, I am horrible, I am ugly, no one will love me. Someone from this church said this, I would never talk to anyone like the the voice that I talk to myself with. So we listen to other voices and we listen to our culture, the voice of our culture saying, this is how you must look and this is what it means to be happy. It's often lies. So we listen to the wrong voices and we live before the wrong eyes. We often live before the fear of people. We, we care too much about how other people see us. And we're out to make an impression, to look good in their eyes. That's why we buy certain gadgets and drive certain cars and wear certain clothes as if we're going to be accepted by others based on those so secondary things. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man, it brings a snare. And it really does. Living in a fear of people, wanting to be accepted by other people, it's exhausting. And I do think this is where social media is not helpful at all. We're creating this culture of self-hatred because social media just amps up how we project ourselves and how we compare ourselves. I love this quote. One of the reasons I ditched Facebook was because I realized I was continually comparing my life to someone else's highlight reel. I was watching somebody else's carefully curated, manicured, projected image of their life. And they were always smiling and they never had bad breath. That's the problem with social media. We just put on the most beautiful pictures with the most beautiful images. 
and you compare your life to their so-called life. How do you feel when you post something on social media and you get zero likes? I'm actually really thankful that Instagram have taken off the like button. And we measure ourselves by the wrong standards. It seems like our society now has set the standard of normal. And it's crazy. Let me give you an example. Here in Sydney, we live in a, a city and a culture where you can choose any kind of sexual orientation imaginable and you'll be applauded for that. But if you have a body mass index of over 25, then isn't that ridiculous? Now, where in the Bible does it say that you have to have body mass index of less than 25? Not in my Bible. But we're creating this culture where everyone has to look a certain way, otherwise they're not acceptable. That is not the standard of the Bible. We measure ourselves by the standards of our peers, and I think this is really quite relevant for Church by the Bridge. And to be accepted and to be liked and to be a somebody here at church. You need to run a half marathon and you need to be a full-time mum who's also juggling work and everything else at the same time and you have to wear a certain label and drive a certain car and be an extrovert and make sure if you've got kids, your kids are extra activities five nights a week, otherwise you are failing them in some way. And that is, that is the standard of our culture, not of the scriptures. I wish sometimes we could step out of this lower North Shore bubble and be, be liberated from these unrealistic standards that we measure ourselves by. So we're so shaped by the wrong standards and we look to the wrong saviours. The reality of self-hatred is so often it's like a vicious circle. We want to change. We want to get out of it. And so we chase after all these different saviours. So we chase after sex. Sex can be my saviour. If I can have sex with lots and lots of people, I will feel loved. But you don't. You actually feel more used and more worthless. Or or food can be your saviour. This is ironic, isn't it, that you hate the way that you look, but there's a, a momentary temporary relief as you binge eat, but then you feel so guilty about it, and it's this vicious, vicious cycle. Or money can be your saviour. If you can earn more money and buy more things and wear the right clothes and get the right haircut, then maybe you'll be liked and with the in crowd. Lots of false saviours. Family can be a saviour. Counselling can be a saviour. Exercise can be a saviour. All these quick fixes that never actually deal with the root issue. That's why we hate ourselves. We, we listen to the wrong voices. We live before the wrong eyes. And we measure ourselves by the wrong standards and look to the wrong saviors. Someone who battled with self-hatred described it as a bit like having hearing loss. I don't really know someone with hearing loss. But everything is just off. And even your own voice doesn't sound normal to you. And then one day someone gives you some hearing aids. And you don't just look at them. You actually put them in your ears. And when you put the hearing in your ears, suddenly you, you hear the world differently and you hear your own voice differently and it can change your life. That's what the gospel does, isn't it? Well, when you know that you are made by God and known by God and fearfully and wonderfully made and precious in his sight and you, when you understand that Jesus knows you and loves you, that changes everything. See what it does to these wrong reasons? What's the correction? Number one, I listen to God's voice. 
I live before God's eyes. And I measure myself by God's standards and I look to God's saviour. That's the, the corrective to self-hatred. Instead of listening to the lies of your peers and your parents and yourself and even the devil, listen to what God says about you. Do you know what God says about you? He delights in you. Psalm 18, verse 19, God rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 147, the Lord delights in those who fear him. Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. One of my favorite passages, Zephaniah 3. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you. Rejoice over you with singing. That is what God says about you if, his, if you're his child. He says in the scriptures that he, he is with you, you're never alone, he will never leave you. He says that he delights in you and he sings over you. And that can be really hard to accept, especially if you've lived with a lifetime of the wrong voices. Let me quote from a gentleman who came out of self-hatred. Over the years, I always felt condemned inside. It was as though there was an inner voice that always said, you are never good enough. You always blank. You didn't blank. You won't blank. You can't blank. And then I realized that was the voice of my father. My father, who was a very critical man, it was though God was saying to me, I am your real father. And I will give you something much better. I had to learn to believe in God's voice. The voice that tells me that he will never leave me. He just loves me the way I am. So listen to God's voice. Live before God's eyes. If I asked you, how does God see you, what would you say? Messed up? Broken? Maybe, but God doesn't care about that. Let's be honest, we're all messed up, aren't we? All of us are messed up. All of us are broken. That's why I love the scriptures. God just keeps on meeting all these different people and they're all messed up and they're all broken and he accepts all of them. Remember the, the woman at the well that Jesus met? Uh, she tried to define herself by her marital past or her sexual present. You know, she'd been married five times before and the man she was now was not, was not her husband. But Jesus would not allow herself to define herself like that. She says, no, 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 I, I love you, you're mine. Or, or the bleeding woman, remember that? The, the, the bleeding woman who was outcast by society. She was a nobody, but she was a somebody to Jesus. Or the leper who loathed himself. He was loved by Jesus. Or Peter who denied Jesus. He was loved by Jesus. Or, or Legion who had these demons in his head and Jesus valued him and fixed him. And you've got to believe that, that God sees your failings, he sees your weakness, he sees your shame, and he doesn't care. He loves you. In his eyes, you are precious, and you are worth dying for, and you're worth living for. So see yourself before God's eyes, and measure yourself by God's standards. Now, this is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? What are God's standards? 
They're pretty high, aren't they? Actually, they're perfection. That God expects perfection. And that is the beauty of Christianity. God knows that you cannot get to perfection. God knows you're always going to fail. And Christianity is not about what you do, but what Christ has done for you. And when you realize that you can never measure up to God's standards and you need him to come down and grab hold of you and call you holy and righteous in his sight. And when you realize that he does that, not because you've done certain things, but because Christ came and died for you, then you might just believe 1 John chapter 3, when it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That's God's standards. You're just to live as a child of God. If you've got children here this afternoon, how do you respond when your kids don't measure up to your standards? You don't stop loving them, do you? And when you fail God, he doesn't stop loving you. He cherishes you. He welcomes you. You're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2. You are God's handiwork. God's masterpiece, that's the word. You are uniquely made as you. And when you grasp that, that it's God's standards that matters, and it actually changes your priorities in life. Your priority is actually to be as, as, as a better Christian as you could possibly be. Now, a Christian worker or a Christian friend or a, a Christian colleague. Be more like Jesus. That's the standard you are aiming for. Not the standard of this world. And then look to God's saviour. 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, God has saved you, not based on your external beauty, not based on your career recognition, not based on your body image, not based on your academic success or sporting achievements, and not based on your finances, not based on good living, not based on kind deeds. He has saved you because Jesus died for you. And you, you contributed nothing to that, did you? It was free, it was lavish, it was marvellous. And when you look to the right saviour, you realise it's not just a past event, but one day you're going to see that saviour face to face, aren't you? When you see him with your new creation, you'll have a new mind, a perfect mind and a perfect body, and you'll be perfect in every way. Can I urge you and encourage you to, to live life defined by how God sees you, not by how others see you? A well-known speaker uses this illustration, so I'll use it with you. I've got a $20 bill. Who wants this? Free of charge, who wants it? Just stick up your hand if you want it. Everyone wants it. It's a free gift, come on, everyone wants it. Put your hand if you want this. Come put up, $20, do you want it? Why do you want it? Okay, who wants this now? Everyone still wants it. It doesn't matter how much I spit on it or trample on it or crumple it up, it's still worth $20. And everyone wants it. It hasn't changed its value just because it's crumpled. 
And the point is this, that you might be sitting here this afternoon and you might feel completely crushed and crumpled and dirty and messed up, but your value and your worth is because God made you, not because somebody else has crumpled you. And he loves you. So stop letting others define who you are and look to your Savior, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm loved by him and I'm precious in his sight. How, what does God think about you? What does God think about you? He says you are safe, you are secure, you are loved, you are precious, and you are mine. You're mine. And that's surely where our value and our worth comes from. If you are here today and this is an issue that you really, really, really struggle with, can I urge you to talk to somebody? There are people down here at the end of the service. If you're not up to that, there are some numbers on the screen that you might want to to call. One is called Lifeline. One's called Beyond Blue. There's a book there, a great book there called You Can Change by Tim Chester. Thanks for listening and I'm going to pray for us. Father, we, we're so thankful that you see us in all our brokenness and our pain and you just love us. A lavish, unconditional love. Help us to listen to your voice and not the voice of others.